You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Bogus DDoS protection pages distribute malware. Estonia deals with DDoS attacks. Russ Commodore's Internet Panopticon. Rick Howard on the RSA security breach of 2011 and the Equifax breach of 2017. Caleb Barlow on what does the recession mean for cybersecurity venture capital and what is the impact of this on the industry. And data tampering attacks are regarded as a growing risk. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Trey Hester filling in for Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for August 22nd, 2022. Researchers at Security warn that fake DDoS protection pages, the sort that ask visitors to perform a browser check before proceeding, are distributing malware and drive-by attacks. Security writes, quote, Unfortunately, attackers have begun leveraging these familiar security assets in their own malware campaigns. We recently discovered a malicious JavaScript injection affecting WordPress websites, which results in a fake Cloudflare DDoS protection pop-up, end quote. Since these types of browser checks are so common on the web, many users wouldn't think twice before clicking this prompt to access the websites they're trying to visit. However, the prompt actually downloads a malicious .iso file onto the victim's computer. End quote. The file is a remote access trojan. The malicious site is an imposter, and there's no compromise of Cloudflare itself. InfoSecurity magazine speaks with Estonian officials concerned to mitigate the effects of distributed denial-of-service attacks the country has sustained this month. Tanu Tamer, head of the Incident Response Department of the Estonian Information System Authority, said that the campaign peaked last week, on the 16th and 17th. Quote, The attack against the website of emta.ee, which is the homepage of Estonian Tax and Customs Board, on August 17th had the most visible effect, with the website being unavailable from 12.30 p.m. to 1.40 p.m. After changing the settings and implementing additional defense mechanisms, it was possible to use the website again. Still, all the services were functional, and only the web page itself was affected. End quote. 
Tamer credits defensive preparations and adequate resourcing with having given Estonia the means of mitigating the effects of the attack. The campaign was claimed by Kilnet. The proximate cause of recent attacks has been, as it was seen in 2007, Estonia's removal of Soviet-era Second World War memorials. There may be more pretexts for follow-on attacks. Russia's FSB has claimed that the assassin who killed Russian ultra-nationalist media personality Darya Alexandrovna Dugivna has taken refuge in Estonia, from where Russia has demanded her extradition. The identification of the assassin is unconfirmed, and there's no reason beyond the FSB's word to think that the assassin has taken refuge in Estonia. Latvia's government, undeterred by recent cyber operations against Estonian online resources, has begun dismantling a very large Second World War memorial in Riga. This one was erected in 1985, Bloomberg reports, near the end of Soviet power. It's come to be regarded as a symbol of nationalism, which is why the Latvian government is taking it down. Citing Comersant, Bleeping Computer reports that Roskomnador, the Russian internet watchdog, has contracted for the development of a tool that will automate internet scanning to identify objectionable material. The projected tool, known as Oculus, is described as a neural network that will use artificial intelligence to scan websites for prohibited information. The automatic scanner will analyze URLs, images, videos, and chats on websites, forums, social media, and even chat and messenger channels to locate material that should be redacted or taken down. Roskom Nazor wants Oculus to be ready on December 12th of this year. The agency has lowballed the contract at 57.7 million rubles, or about $965,000, which observers think is grossly inadequate to fund such an ambitious project. And finally, Protocol discusses data tampering attacks with security experts. While the risk remains more potential than actual, such attacks have occurred, and they're regarded as particularly disturbing. They're difficult to detect and can be highly consequential. The risk is the integrity of an organization's own data. It's not simple data theft, as in doxing or cyber espionage, or denial of access to data, as in traditional ransomware, but it represents a quiet threat to the data themselves. Information an organization relies on for decision-making could be manipulated, corrupting the decision-making itself, and medical imagery could be altered with damaging, potentially lethal consequences, or adversarial machine learning could alter the data used to train artificial intelligence with the eventual consequences for the AI's operation. It's a disturbing possibility and another thing for CISOs to worry about. If you can't trust your data, whom can you trust? Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. 
Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And it is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show the CyberWire's own Rick Howard. He is our chief security officer, also our chief analyst. Rick, welcome back. Hey, Dave. So on this week's CSO Perspectives Pro podcast, you are covering two infamous cybersecurity espionage attacks conducted by the Chinese government. Uh, You've got the RSA security breach of 2011 and the Equifax breach of 2017. First of all, what made you pick those two to highlight? Well, because they are on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to crisis communications planning. On the one end, we have RSA security, where the Chinese government stole the C values of the RSA Secure ID token product. That's the, I don't know if you remember this day, but that was the two-factor authentication device. And back then, used by tens of millions of users in government and the military agencies, defense contractors, banks, and countless corporations around the world. This event... It should have scuttled their company, and it didn't. And it's largely due to how their CEO, Art Coviello, managed the communications plan. Because within a quarter of the breach, RSA Security made record profits again. All right, so hmm. that's, that's an interesting case. And then contrast that with Equifax, where another Chinese government hacker group stole the PII of some 143 million U.S. consumers. That's 60% of the U.S. population. And in the end of that exercise, all right, four executives lost their jobs, including the CEO and the CISO. The U.S. House Digital Commerce and Consumer Protection Subcommittee hauled the CEO in to explain himself, and the total cost to recover was north of $1.4 billion plus any legal fees. And that was largely uh, due to how the CEO bungled the communications plan. So, In this episode of CSO Perspectives Pro, we're going to talk about why, in terms of crisis planning, did RSA security do so well and why Equifax didn't. All right. So that is on the pro side. That's our subscription side. How about on the public side, the ad-supported side this week? Yeah, well, if you remember from last week's show, um, I was talking about the concept of adversary playbooks, and they're kind of the next step in thinking once you get your head around the Lockheed Martin intrusion kill chain model the U.S. Department of Defense's diamond model, and the MITRE attack framework. Adversary playbooks are an attempt to pull all of that together into one bag. Well, as you might know, Dave, I didn't come up with that idea myself. Right? I'm not <laughs> smart enough. My, my partner in crime for that paper that we eventually published on the subject was Ryan Olson, currently the VP of Threat Intelligence at Palo Alto Network. So I brought him onto the show to discuss the current state of adversary playbooks and what needs to be done now to take the next step. Hmm. Well, before I let you go, uh, what is the phrase of the week on your Word Notes podcast? 
This week's word is micro-segmentation, okay? And we've come a long way from those early internet days back in the 1990s when we thought to segment sensitive information from normal day-to-day network traffic by running separate physical cables and fibers. Today, especially in cloud environments, we can do it all in software, and micro-segmentation is the latest tactic that we might use to implement this zero-trust concept. All right, lots of interesting stuff this week. You can find out more about all of that by visiting our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And it is my pleasure to welcome back to the CyberWire, Caleb Barlow. He is the CEO of Silite. Uh, Caleb, it's always great to welcome you back. I want to touch base with you today on where we stand in terms of venture capital, and uh, you know, we have this looming possibility, specter, I would say, of a recession. What sort of things are you hearing about how that might affect venture capital and cyber? Well, you know, first of all, everybody's debating, are we in a recession or not? But I, I do think there's a few things we can acknowledge, right? Labor markets are still red hot, uh, even though some companies are starting to slow down as you know, supply chain issues start to get worked out. But just as, you know, cybersecurity was becoming a mainstream industry in the last recession, you know, kind of back in 2008 or so, we don't really have a good baseline on what the likely impact is of recessionary trends in cybersecurity. Now, Hmm. one of the things as I was looking at this, Dave, that I think is really important to underscore is nearly every CEO and a security vendor has growth-focused skills, right? Because that's all we've been dealing with over the last 10 years or so is growth in this industry. And as we switch back to profitability-focused skills, this could be a real challenge for some leaders to be able to kind of pivot and shift gears. And we're already seeing examples of where our venture capital is slowing down or pausing a bit. Valuation and funding rounds will probably be a bit lower. So, you know, I do think there's a bit of a cautionary tale here of maybe pumping the brakes a bit. But at the same time, you know, we had to talk a little bit about, you know, what's likely to happen in labor markets and what's likely to happen, you know, in terms of funding rounds. Yeah. I mean, how do we reconcile the the two sides of the stories still come out about how there aren't enough people to hire, there are all these empty jobs. And on on the other hand, I'm starting to hear stories of some cybersecurity companies doing rounds of layoffs. Well, I mean, I think one of the things we have to recognize is that, you know, we still have over 700,000 open unfilled jobs just in the United States in this field. So, 
you know, we're probably likely to see slowdowns in people filling jobs. You know, think outside of kind of the vendor market, but in, you know, more traditional critical infrastructure companies where maybe those businesses are slowing down in general, there's certainly a good chance you may see hiring freezes, potentially even layoffs or hiring holds. But I do think what's, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean if you're a cybersecurity uh, professional, you're going to be unemployed. What it pr- might mean is you change jobs or that 700,000 open jobs start to maybe reduce down a few hundred thousand jobs as people start to fill the gap that's been open for so long. What about on the venture capital side? Are, are, is, is there pumping of the brakes happening there? Well, you know, I, I mean, we're in a world where lots of people were taking down $100 million plus rounds if, if you look at kind of the cybersecurity vendors. And the big thing you're going to see a shift in is a movement from growth-focused metrics to profitability and EBITDA-focused metrics. You know, and this is going to be the case in any kind of recessionary trend. What investors are going to look to see is, you know, can you turn this company into a profitable one? And of course, there's a couple of strategies there. One is bring down enough money to weather the storm. Figure three to four years at a minimum. But the problem there is, you know, if you don't pump the brakes a bit on your spending, you don't want to come out of a recessionary trend, still not profitable when all of your peers focused on profitability and have a really high burn rate. Mm-hmm. You know, on the other hand, if you're a company that can maybe pump the brakes a bit, switch your leadership and thinking to free cash flow and profitability versus rapid growth, you know, you might be in a position where not only can you weather the storm longer with the capital you have, but you're going to look much better coming out the other side when everybody's focused on those types of metrics. What's your advice then? I mean, for, for that, uh, that CEO, that board of directors who's looking to maybe weather this storm, any words of wisdom there? Well, I, I mean, I think the first thing is recognize the skills you have and the skills you don't, right? I, I mean, the folks in leadership positions that really weathered the last storm. And, you know, 2008 was mostly an impact on, for example, the auto industry and banking. It really didn't have an impact on the cybersecurity or technology industries even. You have to go all the way back really to 2000. So you're talking about leaders that, the last leaders that weathered this are probably in their 50s now, which, you know, is not the demographic that makes up a lot of CEOs and cybersecurity companies. So the first thing is, you know, have those mentoring relationships, have those peers, and understand the metrics on which you're going to be measured are probably totally different than the metrics on which you've been measured for the last five or 10 years. You know, in addition to that, really watch your term sheets when you're going forward for another round. What's in those term sheets? You know, preferred stock, anti-delusion provisions. I mean, now is the time to pay attention to what are you signing up for, and the best deal might not be just the biggest deal, which is what I think everybody always used to get enamored with. But also... Hmm. Watch what's happening. You know, we already see public software, you know, public security software companies are down in the first half, go along with the rest of the market. But this is going to be a proxy for valuations, Dave, which are already showing signs of impact and people slowing down. All right. Interesting times. Caleb Barlow, thanks for joining us. Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. 
Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Ru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfand, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Girl Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Trey Hester filling in for Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.